My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. All right. Well, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles, um, Haley read out of Mark, but we are actually going to be in the book of Luke looking at another account of this story, and it's going to be Luke chapter 9, verse 28. So if you guys want to get ready and go there, you can. Uh, Welcome back to our second week of our series that's entitled Road to the Resurrection. Uh, We are looking at different paths that Jesus took on his way to the resurrection. Now, Jesus's entire life is technically a road to the resurrection. Everything that happened was on purpose for the purpose of the resurrection. And so we uh, are, but we are taking a few, uh, we're taking an approach that we're going to just highlight a few of these things. So last week we looked at Jesus's road into the wilderness. We looked at the temptation that Jesus experienced in the wilderness. And if you want to go back and listen to that message, you can. Uh, It's on all of our, it's on our YouTube page. It's also on all of our podcasts and everything. So if you want to go listen to that, you can. But today we are looking at something called the transfiguration. The transfiguration. This is a really, really important moment uh, in the life of Jesus. And we're going to break down why uh, today. How many of you guys watch TV shows? Anybody watch TV shows? All right. Some of you guys are like, I don't have TV or I'm too busy to watch TV. I just get home and go to bed and I got to wake up and do it all over again. So I understand that. But my wife and I, uh, we love uh, at night, you know, after the kids go to bed, we're like, you know what? Let's just turn our brains off and let's watch something on TV. So we have several shows that we watch and we are big crime drama fans. Anybody else like watch crime shows? I don't know why we do, but like we're just pretty big fans of the crime shows. Like we watch Blue Bloods, which is set in New York City anyways. And so it's just really cool to like uh, watch that one. We watch The Rookie. I don't know if anybody watches that one, but that's another show that we really enjoy. But here's something about these crime dramas that I notice, and, and really it's, it's every TV show if you think about it, but it's the fact that everything happens for a reason. Like everything happens on purpose in a television show. And I don't know if I'm going to ruin watching TV for you, but there's nothing random that happens in a television show. Like, like I don't care w- what it is. Like it's, if it's from like, um, you know, even, even someone who just seems to be scratching their neck. Like, nobody writes into a script, just scratch your neck. That might be good in the show. No, like, if somebody's scratching their neck, like, I always go, why are they scratching their neck? Something's going to happen. And this is telling us that this is leading up. Like, there's a reason that that person is doing that. And it's going to play a purpose in the show for what the writers have done and, and where they're trying to take us and where they're trying to lead us. Like, everything that you see on, on TV, like, it's happening for a reason. If it's not reality TV, right? I don't watch any reality TV shows, by the way. But I like the fake stuff. I get enough real stuff in real life. I just want the fake stuff, all right? So, so but, but that's what happens. And see, here's the thing. In Jesus's life, it's exactly the same thing. Like everything that happened in his life was on purpose and for a purpose. Like whenever you're reading in scripture and you see some of these things that are going on, like it's not random, all right? Now, I do wanna say that you can't 
you can't take this and like run with it to an extreme. For instance, like, you know, you can't be reading and being like, I mean, Jesus wore sandals and sandals represent the, no, Jesus just wore sandals. All right. Like you don't have to like take it and run with it and come up with all this numerology. And, and yeah, there are some significant numbers in scripture, but you don't have to like take every little, little detail and make it mean something. All right. But there are some things that do actually mean something. And in the transfiguration, this is how we're going to approach this text. Like it's not random. There's nothing random that's going on here. It isn't random that, you know, that Jesus didn't just say, hey, I think here's a mountain I want to climb. Like anybody want to go hiking? Peter, James, John, do you guys want to go hiking? Like, let's go. It wasn't random that he ended up going up, up a mountain. He, it also isn't random that, that God was like, that Elijah and Moses were there. That's, God wasn't just like, hey, I see these guys going up the mountain. Elijah, Moses, let's just, let's go meet with them. Like, no, like, Everything is on purpose. God had a purpose in every detail. He took Peter, James, and John on purpose. His appearance altered for a reason. There's a specific reason why Moses and Elijah are there and why it wasn't Noah or Abraham or John the Baptist or anybody else. And I even feel like it was purposeful that this event took place on top of a mountain. It could have happened anywhere. It could have happened anywhere, yet it took place on top of a mountain. And it was so fun looking into this scripture and studying this scripture. And by the way, let me just help you guys. I don't have any special knowledge available to me that you don't have, all right? Like, I want you guys to know this. Like, like whenever, I, whenever I go into scripture, man, I'm reading commentaries. I'm reading different people's thoughts and opinions on things. And by the way, all of these things are available to every single one of us. Like, this is all within your grasp. And I spent an entire week doing a Bible study on the transfiguration. And I'll just, I'll just be up front with you guys. Like I knew about the transfiguration and I knew some things that were the reason for the transfiguration. But whenever I sat with this for an entire week and meditated on scripture and studied and looked, God has shown me so many cool things about the transfiguration and it's going to blow your minds. It blew mine. I hope it will. If I do my job right, it will uh, you as well today. But all of it happened for a reason. Studying these things has been incredibly edifying, and I hope that today will be edifying for you as well. Haley read out of Mark. Uh, there's an account in Matthew of the Transfiguration as well, uh, but we're going to camp out in the one in Luke today because he gives a few more details that aren't in the other accounts. We're going we're gonna to allude to Matthew a little bit, and, uh, but you guys, we're, we're going to mainly sit with this. So I want to read this out of Luke for just a moment, and I want you guys to follow along. See if you notice anything that's different um, that, that Luke added extra detail that maybe Mark didn't necessarily add. But here's what it says in Luke uh, chapter 9 verse 28. It says this, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up a mountain to pray. All right, so far so good. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed. I'm going to take you to Matthew for a second. Matthew says that it shone like the sun. His face shone like the sun. And you can go back and read that in Matthew 17. But it says specifically that his face looked like the sun. And his clothes became dazzling 
white. You guys heard earlier, Mark was like, there is no launderer on earth that could have made his clothing as white as he did. Another translation says that there is no bleach that is strong enough to make his clothes as bright white as his clothes were. So the idea is his face was shining like the sun and his clothes were illuminating. They were so bright, they were radiant. And then it says in verse 30, suddenly, Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world. Whose exodus? Jesus's. From this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. And Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus's glory and the two men standing with him. We're going to pause there for a moment and we're going to look at a few things. Let's talk about, first of all, why Jesus was transformed. Why was he transformed and why it's important for these three, or why it's important for those three men to see that happen. So last week, whenever we were talking about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, one of the reasons we said he was tempted was to show his humanity, to show Jesus's humanity. Well, the reason that Jesus was transfigured and transformed, metamorphosis is what that word actually is there. The reason that took place was because we also need to understand that it's equally important to know that Jesus is God. Jesus is 100% human, and we looked at that human side last week, and now we need to understand that Jesus is also God. He's 100% God. Do you know what separates our God from any other God? One of the things that separates our God, there are many, but one major thing is that our God is the only God who condescended himself to come down and rescue humanity. That doesn't happen in any other religion. That doesn't happen with any other God. There are many stories of many gods in the world and all of them are about a God who demands that the people do what they tell them to do and that I'll be happy with you as long as you do the things that I tell you to do. Your eternity, whatever that eternity is, will be okay if you will do what I tell you to do. Your life on earth will actually be okay if you do what I tell you to do. You guys have heard the term appeasing the gods, right? Well, that's the complete opposite of God. That's the complete opposite of who our God is, the one true God is. Only in the Bible, only the Bible talks about God who loves his creation so much that he himself would step out of heaven and condescend to earth and die. What? Give me another religion where their God died for the people, but he died to take the punishment on behalf of his creation. That only happens in scripture. No other God has a story like that. And it was God's design that when sin entered the world, this is beautiful. When sin entered the world, he, he would be the one to rescue us. Our God would be the one to rescue us. And God sent prophets to us to make sure that we knew that when the Messiah came, his name would be Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. 
If you look in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which by the way was written about 700 years before Christ was ever born, Isaiah was given a word from God to prophesy to the nations, and here it is on the screen. He says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God told us from the prophets and from even earlier than that, I will come to rescue you. I will be there. I will show up. I'm not going to send anybody else. It's going to be me because I love you and because I'm gracious and because I'm merciful. I will be the one who dies for you, who comes to save you. That's why it's important that we understand that Jesus is God because he told us that he would come. And there is no greater way to show that Jesus is God for the, than for Jesus to radiate the glory of God in this moment. He is radiating the glory of God. Remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he received the 10 commandments? Remember that story? When he came back down, what was different about him? Do you remember? His face was what? Glowing. Moses's face was glowing. It said it, sh it shone with a brilliant light. So much so that when he came down, the people were afraid of him. They were like, what is happening with your face, man? And Moses, listen to this. Moses was not radiating the glory of God. Moses was reflecting the glory of God. It's different. There's a different bet difference between something radiating something and something reflecting something. You guys know what I'm talking about because I don't know how, I, I mean, some of you guys are old enough, but um, back whenever uh, they made playground equipment when I was a kid, I think the people who made the playground equipment, they weren't so concerned about the children's safety uh, than just the kids having fun, all right? And, uh, and so we had these things called metal slides, yeah, and whenever you got on a metal slide, whenever it was the dead of summer, you didn't have any thigh left whenever you got down to the bottom of that metal slide, right? But think about this. That slide got so hot because it was reflecting the sunshine. But listen to this. It was only reflecting the sunshine. And if that burned, the thing that it must be reflecting must burn a lot. You see, the, the slide re just, just reflects the sun. The sun radiates the light. The sun radiates the heat. The only thing that can radiate the light like the sun and radiate the heat like the sun is the sun. Moses can reflect the glory of God, but the only thing that can radiate the glory of God is God. And Jesus wasn't reflecting Jesus was radiating the glory of God. He is, he is God. There are a lot of religions that teach that Jesus is not God. A lot of, a lot of religions that would call themselves even Christian. Jehovah's Witness, Trevor and I were talking about this this past week. Jehovah's Witnesses will teach that, that Jesus is not God. Mormons teach that Jesus is not God. But listen to this, to rob Jesus of his deity is to rob God from his unique and amazing display of grace and mercy and love as he himself came to rescue us. You see, God, he said, I'm going to go and save you. 
And to say that he didn't is to rob him of that uniqueness. It's to rob him of that grace. He wanted to show us his love. It's to rob him of that love. Now we're saying, no, God's just like every other God. He sent someone else to do it. He sent a prophet to do it. No, guys, our God is different. Another reason I think Peter, James, and John were all there is because of how incredibly influential in the spread of the gospel and the beginning of the, the design of the church they are. They're incredibly influential. And, and this didn't convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. They were already convinced of that. Because if you remember a little bit earlier, um, if you've done like a Bible reading plan or anything, you may have already gotten to this part. But uh, Jesus has already asked Peter, who do you say that I am before this moment? So it didn't take this for, G for Peter to be convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. He said, no, I, you are the Messiah. So what is this doing? Well, it's putting to bed any doubt they would ever have. It's like, if you were already convinced, be convinced even more now because Jesus is radiating the glory of God right in front of you. And maybe some of you are thinking, man, how cool would that be? I know I caught myself saying that. Like when I, because as I'm meditating on this and as I'm reading this and just thinking about this, I'm like, man, how cool would that be to be standing on a mountain with Jesus? He's radiating the glory of God and, 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 Elijah and Moses are there too. How incredible would that be to see that? I would love to see the glory of God radiate from Jesus Christ. And the truth is we can every single day, every single time you open the passages of your scripture that have been miraculously preserved for us, we get to look into them and see Jesus for who he really is. Actually, we have a better picture now of who Jesus is than the disciples did. We have that. And so I caught myself and I, I just caught, because I was, I was praying in that moment. I was like, God, that'd be so cool. And I just felt, you have it. You, you get to see my glory. I've given it to you through my word. And I, and I just think that was, that was just a very cool, um, a cool thought to have. But, but moving on, let's talk, about, let's talk about this whole Moses and Elijah thing, right? Because that's kind of weird, right? Like all of a sudden, these guys are dead. And I realize Elijah was taken up, but like still, uh, these guys are not alive. So, you know, um, again, this is on purpose. Like the reason that Moses is there and Elijah there are on purpose. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, but... Uh, <laughs> Whenever I read scripture, and this probably isn't like the most reverent thing in the world, but I don't know, I just have like this mind that just tries to imagine how things went uh, up on that mountain, you know? And I'm 100% I'm positive it did not go this way. Uh, but in my mind, whenever I'm thinking about, you know, um, them up on this mountain, um, you know, Peter, James, and John are taking a nap. Okay, and a few feet away is Jesus glowing with, with Moses and Elijah. Um, I don't know what's going on with these fellas, but I'm, I don't know, and I don't know everything Trevor's going to preach on um, Good Friday, but do you guys remember another moment Jesus was like, hey, let's go pray? And they fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? It's like, what? I don't know if these guys are narcoleptic or like if they just work really, really hard. Like what's going on? But they, they seem to fall asleep um, a lot. And they fell asleep twice in the garden uh, on Good Friday. Um, but you would have thought they would learn the lesson, but, but they're tired. They're just, they're just tired guys. Um, and and let's, let's, let's just be real. How many of us have fallen asleep while we're praying? 
Yeah, like all the time, right? Yeah, okay, all the time. Like you're like, God, I'll pick up tomorrow, <laughs> like where, where uh, I was just praying. Uh, but, but I still wonder what was all going on in that conversation because it says that they were conversing. Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, while the disciples took a nap, they're just having a conversation. And we, get, we understand a little bit like about what was um, being said, um, but I, my mind just wanders. Like what, what are these three guys talk about? And, you know, and immediately like in my mind, um, you know, I just picture like them standing over there and like looking over at the disciples and be like, oh, look at them. They're asleep. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. I don't want to wake them up. You know, we've been, they're like worn out. Like we've been doing a lot of stuff and plus we just hiked this mountain. And so I'm gonna let them sleep for a little bit, you know, and while they, you know, have this conversation um, that they're going to have. And I, I just picture Elijah being like, how are they doing? How are the disciples doing? Like they, they don't okay. And Jesus is like, yeah, no, they're doing okay. Like they're all right. Like they're, they got their strengths. They got their weaknesses, you know, but uh, you know, they're coming along. Peter, that dude, he lo he's a loose cannon though. Like he just says some stuff. Um, you know, he needs to learn to think before he speaks. Uh, this is, this is Peter. Um, you know, I tried to tell him the other day that, you know, I had to die and I need to be resurrected, you know, uh, three days later. And Peter looked at me and, and tried to say, no, that's not going to happen. And, uh, and you know, like guys, that has to happen, right? Elijah and Moses are like, yeah, that's gotta happen. Like if it's, if you're going to save everybody like that, definitely gotta happen. And, uh, and then he says, you know, and Jesus says, and you know, like the only person who, who doesn't want me to die is Satan. And, uh, you know, I just picture Elijah or Moses being like, tell me you didn't call him Satan. <laughs> and Jesus is like, I did. I did. I called him Satan. I told him to get behind me. Like, I, I, I did. Like, that's, I'm sorry. And you know what? And they're going to, when they wake up, they are going to freak out. Like, they, this is going to be so crazy. Like, you guys just watch. Like, I promise nobody's going to be calling me to help write the Chosen series. All right? Like, that's, that's not going to happen uh, because I'm pretty sure that did not happen. But, but my brain kind of goes there because it just says they were talking. And they were talking while the guys were asleep. What, what, like, all are they talking about? I would love to be a fly on the, or on the ground, isn't them on a mountain, anyways. Whatever it is, like, to have heard that would be so, so cool. But we do know one thing they talked about, and it's incredible for me to think about and imagine them talking about what it says. Because if you guys remember the scripture, it says this, and they were speaking about his exodus. They were speaking about his departure from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. And again, I don't know what was said, but I picture, you know, Elijah just being like, man, I cannot believe it's about to go down. Like, like we have been waiting. Like the angels have been waiting, you know? And, and, and Elijah being like, you know, we have been waiting so, so long. And Moses being like, some of us have waited a little longer, Elijah, <laughs> you know, so calm down. But they've been waiting for so long. And now it was about to happen. It was about to be fulfilled. Everything, everything that, is, that they've been waiting for from, from when sin entered to the world, like from creation, they're all waiting for all this to happen. And they're talking about it. They're talking about Jesus's exodus from the world. And I love that they use the word exodus here because it's literally the same word as the book as the book of Exodus. And it reminds me of the departure, because that's what that word means, is departure. It reminds me of the departure of the Israelites and how God freed them from the bondage of the Egyptians, right? You guys remember that story? Well, here, 
we have another exodus, this time an eternal exodus where God's people are in bondage to their own sin and Christ through his departure, through his exodus, by crucifixion and resurrection, will once again free his people. Is it an accident that they're using the same word? Exodus? I think it's, it's awesome and it, what it reminds us of. And remember this, Christ's exodus brings about our exodus. Christ's exodus brings about our own exodus from the bondage of sin. And I just think it's so cool to imagine Jesus and Moses and Elijah all standing around talking about that very thing. And that's not the ultimate purpose of why they were there. We're actually going to get to that in a little bit. But I love that Luke adds that little detail of their conversation there. All right. So moving on a little bit, sleepyheads wake up. Okay. Uh, they look around. I, I can't, I look, I've fallen asleep before and some pretty cool things have been there when I woke up. Like, you know, like when you fall asleep and then you wake up and you look outside and you didn't know it was going to snow. And then all of a sudden there's snow on the ground and it's beautiful, right? For about three seconds. And then New York hits it <laughs> like that. That's pretty cool. I've woken up on Christmas morning, you know, and when ran out, like there's been some pretty cool stuff, but I have never woken up and seen Jesus radiating in all of his glory with Moses and Elijah standing there. It's got to be the best thing ever. The only thing that could top it is waking up in eternity in heaven with God. Like, I mean, they are, this is incredible. And look at what, what happens next, okay? They're speechless, first of all. And then in verse 33, it says this. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, okay? Peter, not even knowing what to say, I love that Luke added that, blurted out, which is really good because Peter's very good at blurting stuff out. He blurts out, master, it's wonderful for us to be here. He's like, this is awesome. Like, this is incredible. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. There it is, Peter not thinking again before he opens his mouth. But again, just like before, I think Peter means well. Like, right? I mean, he definitely means well, but he once again speaks in ignorance. And you kind of feel bad for Peter. First, um, he's called Satan for not wanting Jesus to die. That's tough, right? Um, but then also, he opens his mouth to speak and is quite literally interrupted by God the Father himself in the middle of what he is trying to say. How many of you guys have, how many of you guys have heard of a mountaintop experience? Have you ever heard that term before? A mountaintop experience? Do you guys know where that comes from? This. It comes from this. It's not someone who worked hard to like climb a really, really high mountain or something and then looked around and went, this is awesome. Like I've climbed mountains before and I've gotten to the top and looked around. There, there are more fun things in the world. So it didn't come from that, all right? Like it, it came from this. This is the mountaintop experience. And uh, a mountaintop experience, if you haven't heard of it before, is, is how you describe whenever you're experiencing something so incredibly amazing that you don't want to leave. 
It's incredible and you don't want to leave. And it becomes a core memory of one of the greatest times in your life. You can probably think of things that were mountaintop experiences for you. We all have these things that have been mountaintop experiences. And I think it's cool that Moses during his life had a mountaintop experience. We talked about it. When he's up on the mountain with God, receiving the Ten Commandments, he's having a mountaintop experience. He's in the presence of God. His face comes down. He comes down. His face is shining. And it was on top of a mountain. And guess who else is there that had a mountaintop experience? Elijah. He also had a mountaintop experience. It was on Mount Carmel when he was being taunted by the prophets of Baal and where he was able to call down fire. Go read this story. It's crazy if you've never read this story. It's awesome though. It's like one of those that you're reading and you're like, yes, like whenever it all happens. And, uh, and, and you know, God shows um, that, that, that God is real, like Elijah's God is real. And, uh, and it's an incredible story. And it's a highlight of Elijah's life. Like it really is. And it was on top of a mountain. Moses, he had a mountaintop experience. Elijah had a mountaintop experience. And Peter is experiencing a mountaintop experience as well. And he doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want it to end. And we can all understand that, right? Like we can all identify with that. You're on a mountain. Jesus is glowing. There's two amazing men of God standing there. You wouldn't want to leave. You would not want to leave that. We've all probably had mountaintop experiences where we wanted to stay as long as possible. Maybe it was a really good birthday. You guys ever had a really good birthday party? Just a really good one. You're like, man, that's that's a great day. Whenever Whenever you think about it at the end. Or an incredible vacation, right? You get back or you're there and you're just like, oh man, I do not want this to end. This is amazing. Maybe it was the beginning of a relationship. You guys remember that one? It's like, you hang up. No, you hang up. You hang up. Are you there? Yeah. You hang up, right? Like, you remember, you remember those moments? Like, these are mountaintop experiences. Maybe it was um, your wedding day. Maybe it was the birth of your kids. How about the day you gave your life to Christ or were baptized? Talk about mountaintop experiences. And we, wanna, we want those to be life We don't want to leave those instances. We want to live in those as long as we possibly can. And you can't blame Peter for wanting to stay up on that mountain longer. But the truth is, wanting to stay is thinking from a human perspective. Wanting to stay is only only thinking from a human perspective. It's not where we belong yet. It's not where we belong yet. Our mountaintop will eventually be eternal. But for now, our work is down the mountain. That's where we're called to be. Moses had to come off the mountain to continue his work. Elijah had to come down from the mountain to continue prophesying. Jesus had to come down from the mountain to continue his journey to the cross. And we also have been given a task while we're here, a job to do, a reason for continued living, and that is to be the hands and feet of Jesus, his ambassadors, his ministers of reconciliation. He's called us to, he's given us chances to be on top of a mountain every once in a while in life, but that's not where we belong. You You guys have probably heard about Um, this revival that happened uh, at Asbury, right? You've probably seen it in the news. You've probably heard all about it. 
And it's incredible to see, like it's incredible to see and to, and to want to be a part of something where, you know, uh, everything kind of shuts down and you're just able to go and you're just able to worship and you're able to be there in the presence of God with his people and to be worshiping and to be singing. But there's an eternity for that. There will be. But it's incredible to experience something like that on earth. But here's the thing. A lot of people looked at Asbury Revival and went, I hope this lasts as long as it possibly can. That's a human perspective. Because we aren't called to live our lives huddled up together singing praise to God. It's awesome to do that and it's awesome to get moments of revival in those ways. But revival awakens you to go live. That's what revival is. You're not supposed to live in a state of revival. You are supposed to be revived so that you can go and do the things that God has called you to do. And I'm really grateful that God gives us these mountaintop experiences, but we aren't to live in them. They are to only be fuel to continue doing what he's called us to do. That's what those mountaintop experiences are supposed to do for us. So why, why Moses and Elijah then? Why them? Think about this for a second. What does Moses represent? What do you guys think? It starts with an L. It ends with awe. That's right, law. Exactly. Moses represents the law. Well, if Moses represents the law, who, what does Elijah represent? The prophets, right? So you've got a representation of the law. You've got a representation of the prophets. And Jesus said just a few days before this, during his Sermon on the Mount, and he kind of opens with this, that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to what? Fulfill them. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. You think it's an accident that the law and the prophets are standing on top of the mountain with Jesus in this moment? No, it is not by accident, all right? So you have representation of those things. And something that the Jews have been under is the covenant and authority of the law and the prophets for thousands of years. That's what they have been under the authority of and what many Jews today are still under the authority of. Whenever you walk around Brooklyn and whenever you're driving through some areas that are heavily populated, um, you know, uh, with, uh, with, with the Jewish people, there's a, like, I look at them and there's a reason they're wearing the things they're wearing. There's a reason that they pray the things that they pray when they pray the things that they pray. There's a reason they do all of the things that they do. And that's because they are still under the authority of the law and the prophets. So that still exists today. But I want us to catch something because Peter, James, and John, that was their life. That's where they came from. Like they were Jews by birth and they followed the law and the prophets to the best of their ability because that's what you do as a good Jew. That's what God told them to do, right? But I want us to notice something. When the law there represented and the prophets there represented, right? Who does God say to listen to? Jesus. That's what, that's what his words exactly are. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Well, hold on. You've got the law standing there, the lawgiver, Moses, standing there. You've got a representation of the prophet standing there, Jesus standing there, and God looks and doesn't say, I want you to listen to them. He says, this is my son. Listen to him. 
listen to him. The covenant of the law and the prophets have always been a forerunner to the covenant of grace through Christ. They've always been. Peter, James, and John, good Jews, listening to the law and the prophets their whole life, they fall under submission to Jesus, who is the word. That's why Elijah and Moses were standing there that day. Because they knew that there were going to be people who continued to want to follow the law, but they said they all, it all pointed to Jesus, all of it. Follow him, listen to him. Jesus came and fulfilled the law and the prophets. This is why we don't follow the law anymore like, we, like, like the Jewish faith did back in the day. This is why we don't have to follow the prophets who told them to follow the law back then. It's because Jesus brought in a new covenant of grace and he is the authority over all of it. So it's interesting because later John would write about this and the story isn't in the book of John. Like John was there. Like it's in Matthew. Was Matthew there? No. It's in Mark. Was Mark there? No. It's in Luke. Was Luke there? No. Who's the only one of the gospel writers that were actually there? John. But he actually doesn't even have an account of this in, in, in the gospel of John, which is interesting. But he does make mention of it because I want you guys to see this right here. Look at the impact that this had on them. Verse 1 in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So the word is a he. Who is he speaking about? Jesus. Go down to verse 10. He came into the very world he created. This is John writing about his savior. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word, Jesus became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. I know exactly what John's talking about right there. He's talking exactly about what he had seen on that mountaintop when he says we have seen his glory. And Peter also makes mention of this in 2 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 16 to 19. Here's what it says. I love what Peter says. He says, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, Peter says, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. How cool is that? You and I, you and I, as we see the glory of Christ through the totality of Scripture, should also have the greatest of confidence as we continue our task of proclaiming this same message. 
the same message that was given to John, the same message that was given to, to James, the same message that was given to Peter, we get to continue. We don't stay on the mountain. We've got things we have to do. There is a reason that whenever we're saved, we're not just like out of here. It's because God's given us the privilege of taking that message to other people. What a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.